Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Weather is frightening, the thunder and lightning seem to be having their way. But as far as I'm concerned, it's a lovely day. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Awards Don't Matter, the podcast that takes a look at all the best picture winners and nominees throughout history and asks, does this matter? My name is Andrew and I'm joined by my co-host Dave to talk about a new film. Well, it's not a new film. Jeez, why did I say it's a new film? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's new to us. It was new to me. I had never seen it uh, before we were set to record this, but it's one of our, one of our episodes that is about a loser. Uh, a movie that did not win Best Picture at the Oscars. Struck down by Captain Bly and Mutiny on the Bounty. Such a shame. Yeah, and that is Mark Sandrich's top hat. The turn in the weather will keep us together So I can honestly say That as far as I'm concerned it's a lovely day And everything's okay This a lovely day to be caught in the rain. Which is a Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire film. Uh, is a musical uh, that is about, uh, you know, basically, it's a film that could have, it should have technically been wrapped up in a couple of quick lines of dialogue, but no, <laughs> they stretch it out for 90 minutes yeah, or well. so. <laughs> Where... <laughs> is that your top hat? Is that your briefcase? No? Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but darn it, there has to be a film here. There has to be some singing. There has to be some dancing. This is a film that... Look, I'm just going to read the uh, the Wikipedia description because it's a little bit uh, confusing. So American dancer Jerry Travis, Brad Astaire, comes to London to star in a show produced by Bumbling Horace. Uh, some dude. Uh, while practicing a tap dance routine in his hotel bedroom, he awakes Dale Tremont, Ginger Rogers, on the floor below. She storms upstairs to complain, whereupon Jerry falls hopelessly in love with her and proceeds to pursue her all over London. That sounds creepier than it is. Dale mistakes Jerry for Horace, who is married to her friend Madge, Helen Broderick. Following the success of Jerry's opening night in London, Jerry follows Dale to Venice, where she is visiting Madge and modeling and promoting gowns created by Bedini. Eric Rhodes, a dandified Italian, dandified, I would never have said that word, uh, fashion designer with a penchant for malappropriums. Again, I wouldn't have said that either. Uh, Jerry proposes to Dale, who, while still believing Jerry is Horace, is disgusted that her friend's behavior could behave her in such a terrible manner and agrees to instead to marry Bedini. Fortunately enough, they, uh, Bates, who is uh, Horace's meddling English valet, disguises himself as a priest and conducts a ceremony. Horace had sent uh, Horace had sent Bates to keep tabs on Dale. On a trip to gondola, in a gondola, uh, Jerry manages to convince Dale, and they return to a hotel where the previous confusion is rapidly cleared up again. As we we're saying, 
could have been done in a quick sentence, and the reconciled couple dance off in the Venetian sunset to the tune of the Piccolino. Um, part of the reason why I chose this Ooh, film... Take a breath. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. Take a, take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of singing, a lot of dancing in this film. Uh, again, as I said at the end of the last episode, part of the reason I chose Top Hat was because you had already discussed The Informer on a different podcast, and I thought that I'd give you a break from talking about John Ford, and... I love this film. I grew up watching it. Um, I, I think that it is a really wonderful film, and it's kind of a film that is known because of its songs. Uh, Top Hat, White Tails, White Tie and Tails, and Cheek to Cheek, which Cheek to Cheek has been featured in a whole bunch of different films. Purple Rose of Cairo, uh, fellow Best Picture nominee and failure to win The Green Mile. That, that film was nominated for Best Picture. Um, so it, huh. it has an impact that? on cinema history. This is your first time coming to it. Did you like it? Here's God, I am loath to make you happy, Andrew. <laughs> but not only is this a good movie, this should have won the Oscar. It should have. It year. really should have. It it should have. It's it God, it is so pleasant, so lovely. I just I loved every second of this movie. Like there's even though they're racist towards Italians. Uh, and I myself am Italian. For people who don't know, my last name is Giannini. So you can't can't avoid the Italian in that name. For people who are listening Man, to this, this you didn't really see good. the hand go up with the ma 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 ma. You know what? And I and you know what? I didn't even do it on purpose. <laughs> it just it just comes out. Um, you're right, of course, that like a lot of the misunderstandings in this movie could be hand waved away with one conversation between two of our characters but that's like that's every great that's every great romance not even romantic comedy not even romantic musical comedy i mean like fucking romeo and juliet could be cleared up with two people talking to one another instead of taking poison and stabbing themselves just like top hat no difference there um but you know of course astaire and rogers together are great i i have made i'm like half serious about this um because i've made this joke on other podcasts that like in comparison to Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire is an uggo. Like, he has no business breathing the same air as the deified angel that is Ginger Rogers. Like, you look at her, I'm just like, I look at her and I'm like, oh my god. Like, no wonder, like, granted, acting, dancing, amazing. But, like, god, she is just beautiful to look at. Like, just an absolutely stunning woman. And you pair that with someone who can who can do the comedy as well. And it's like, Oh my God, you were just like too gifted for this world. So seeing them together romantically is a little, it is a little puts me off a little bit, but when the singing and dancing starts there, I mean, there's nobody better. He's Fred Astaire. I mean, he's the name is synonymous with dance. Uh, and there's an absolute good reason for it. And they're like, you know, they're meat cute in here where he's tap dancing and like, you know, they meet and, you know, he's like, well, I have an affliction. I need you to hold me. And then, you know, her kind of, you know, sniping back like, well, I'll get this big burly guy downstairs. He can hold you. And I'm like, this is like I even take out the singing and dancing. These two together, like there's magic on screen. Absolutely. Immediately. And even if you if you take a look at the scenes that she has with Madge. Like when she first says, like, oh, he's been chasing me all across this place. And and, you know, of course, there's this misunderstanding. But the wife is like, well, I'm impressed. Like, good for him. 
That's fine. You know, and it's just like such a good natured until it's not. It's such a good natured relationship between the husband and the wife when they're not on screen together, which I find really interesting that once they're on screen together, because everything has come to a head, they're like at each other's throats. But before that, you can you can see how how good their relationship is. Like you absolutely understand it. Like she knows he's a flirt, but knows he wouldn't do anything, so it's fine. Yeah, no big. Knows deal. that he's completely incapable of actually, uh, you know, securing or, or or sealing the deal with any other person. But you also understand why she would like. I, I think what I've grown to appreciate and understand through watching these films from the nineteen twenties and thirties is how the distance in relationships that people have. Um, especially because Madge nicks off down to Venice and, and she's down there and, and Horace is like, you know, doing his own thing in a completely different area. And I think there is a, um, if there's something for uh, relationships and partners to learn from these kinds of films is that, you know, spending time apart from each other is actually quite healthy and organic. And you should definitely, you know, it should be encouraged that, Oh, you want to go on a holiday? Well, I don't particularly want to go to Venice. You go to Venice, have a great time. I'll see you when you get back. That kind of thing. And I like that kind of organic nature to that relationship. And as you're saying, they they work so well when they're off screen and then they're at each other's throats when they're together. But the film isn't about them. it's It's about Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. And I want to talk about that beauty of Ginger Rogers again, as you're saying, because when they're in flow... When they're dancing, you know, we, we early on we get to see. Uh, I love the gradual reveal of uh, Jerry's dancing as well. Where, you know, I, I thought that I forgot that the first time that he dances, it's behind a table, and I'm like, ah, oh, this is Broadway melody all over again, isn't it? I know, yeah, all over again. <laughs> like I had that thought too, and I was like, I was, I was legitimately like in that moment. I have to tell you, so angry at you. <laughs> what? Well, they always have a little scheme. Look here, young fellow, I think it's about time you found out for yourself. Oh, you do? do I certainly do. No, thanks, Horace. In me, you see a youth who is completely on the loose. No yens, no yearnings, no strings, no connections, no ties to my affections. I'm fancy-free and free for anything fancy. No dates can't be broken, no words that can't be spoken, especially when I am feeling romancy. Like Robin on a tree, like sailor goes to sea, like an unwritten melody, I'm free, that's me. So bring on the big attraction, my decks are cleared for action, I'm fancy free, free for anything fancy. It was like, this is such a good movie, it's so great, and it starts off with his the footwork being hidden, and I'm like, again? We're doing this again? I'm going to lose my mind. But luckily, after that, the the numbers get bigger and bolder, and it's fine. But, but that's uh, but it. It's yeah, like, that first one as well. It's taking that line from the <laughs> jazz singer, you ain't seen nothing yet, to be like, all right, we're going to give you the audio and the visual of his face dancing, and we're going to give you the audio of his foot's tapping, and then you're just going to have to imagine it happening, and we're going to allow you to create that image, and then... When you see it actually happening, you're going to be like, wow. And I think this is one of the rare occasions where it's like in a musical where people just organically break out and singing and dancing. There is a reason for him to break out singing and dancing. It feels normal that he would 
you know, start tap dancing, that he would start singing and serenading his friends and lovers and everybody that's around. Like, it doesn't feel like this is some dickhead just like, oh, shut up, <laughs> you know. Stop it. Yeah. And, yes. and, while, and while Dale is very much like, look, I'm trying to sleep down here, there is still, he wins her over. And there is an affable charm to him that comes through in his personality right. that is just accentuated by their dancing together. And gosh. He better be charming because he's not good looking. <laughs> he better be charming. But oh, he can move. He can move. And that's like this film, Cheek to Cheek, is referenced in La La Land. And, you know, I, I couldn't help but think about that film so much while watching this and being like, geez. Remember when actors could sing and dance? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't mean to rag on La La Land. I know it's got its fans, but um, you know, at least they could have. The least they could have done is actually employed some people who could do one of either thing. And alas, you know. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> but but here's here's the problem. Here's the problem with that. I think you're right in one way. Is that like. Being an actor used to be used to have to to use a you know sports analogy, and you won't get this because it's baseball. It's not like Australian rules football or rugby or whatever nonsense cricket, you watch. Cricket, but, we play cricket. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh God. Whatever. Um, there's a in baseball. There's an idea of a five tool player, which means that, as, shortly means they can do everything really really well, right? And that's what it used to take. To be a big actor, you used to be able to have to sing, dance, do comedy, do drama. Like you have to do everything and do it really well. And now it's much more about, you know, celebrity and star power. Like, and you have Gosling and Stone who had been in movies together before. So they work as a romantic couple and you're like, okay, this, this will work. And they're like, oh yeah, uh, but they can't, they can dance. Okay. They can carry a tune, but they're not singers, right? And you had, you know, you had similar things like this. And, you know, they did a film version of Les Mis. And for some god-awful reason, cast Russell Crowe, who, like, I can't sing, but Russell Crowe really can't sing. Like, it's it's rough. It's really rough to watch. Um, so they've been doing this for, like, I don't know, probably the last decade or so, where it's just like, well, you recognize that person, so you'll be more forgiving. But this movie, you don't have that problem because you have – People who are stars and also have all these skills like that sequence where she's caught out in the rain and he like, you know, comes to like pick her up or whatever. And he's like, you know, dancing in the gazebo. I can see the sun up high, though we're caught in a storm. I can see where you and I could be cozy and warm. Let the rain pitter patter, but it really doesn't matter if the skies are gray. Long as I can be with you, it's a lovely day. Like, not only is that a beautifully choreographed scene, but her acting in that scene is tremendous. Like, it's like seeing the entire arc of a relationship. You actually see her... On her face, you see her being wooed by this man, and you see her catching herself more than once of like, okay, stop, I have a nice life set up, I need to, you know, do all these things, I've got this this guy back here who's going to give me all these clothes, I'm going to live a good life, I need to, you know, and I'm going to hopefully be in the show, I've got to do this. Um, but you see her being tempted in that sequence, 
And it really, really works. And I don't think, you know, not to rag on him, but I don't think it works because of him. Like the, the dancing is, of course, top notch and perfect, but it works because of her reactions. I mean, there's that kind of old line, like everything that Fred Astaire did, Ginger Rogers did backwards and in heels. And that's, you know, true physically, but also like if you watch her as an actor, like it's kind of a masterclass, especially in this type of movie where honestly, like you didn't have to do all that. You didn't have to be that good. Like it's a it's a feel good romance with singing and dancing and Irving Berlin music and like giant numbers and people are going to be wowed by this anyway. It's going to be beautiful. But like she really brought her A game to this. I've actually four, of course, four podcasts. I think I've watched like four of her movies recently and she's always good, but she is great in Top Hat. Like just pitch perfect. She really is. And one of the things which we forgot to mention about uh, Mutiny on the Bounty was that it, um, you know, in for the 8th Academy Awards, it was the last time that there was just a Best Actor and a Best Actress Award because three of the lead actors were nominated for Best Actor, which helped create the Supporting Actress and Supporting Actor Award. And neither Fred Astaire or Ginger Rogers were nominated for their acting here, um, which I think is a genuine shame because... Uh, you know, I do too. It's it, they're, they're full body performances. You know, as you were saying, they're they're so effortless and so talented that they act through their dancing, they act through their singing, and they act through and they embody it so perfectly. I wish that they were nominated, but it's really a cruel shame as well that this film didn't win anything at all. Uh, it was nominated for Best Song. Cheek to Cheek was nominated for Best Song. It lost to Lullaby of Broadway uh, for the Gold Diggers of 1935. That classic song. I know we can't, that's we can't be, escape it. Like, that's, <laughs> so that's one of those things looking back. Like, you know, granted, nobody really looks back this far. But there's always all these articles about the, you know, the biggest Oscar misses of all time. Like, this one instead of this. Like, this has got to be number one. Like, this, like, Cheek to Cheek, like, as you mentioned, it's been used in, like, five or six movies, you know, as recently as, you know, five years ago. This has stood the test of time. And, like, just listening to it and watching it here, it's a great song. It's like, this is exactly what you want from an Oscar song, right? And they just they just missed it, man, for a song that no one has thought about probably since 1950 like no one has ever gone back and been like well let me check out the i mean there's always some idiot oscar blogger who's like let me listen to every song that ever won you know well it's certainly song, easier than watching about the bloody them. films they're they come weird. from <laughs> yeah they're weak they're weak no come on now do do the work really don't just listen to a three-minute song but yeah man i just i mean as i mentioned i really there is a big part of me that i watch it I'm like man i hope i fucking hate this i, <laughs> I just want to rub it rub it in andrew's face that this movie he loves is a piece of garbage like i can't wait and then like i swear to god within like three minutes i'm like oh god damn it like this is so good and it's just like and you just knew it was gonna get better and better and better like it's good even just like even before ginger roger shows up the relationship between the two guys it's super fun it's super enjoyable and then when she shows up it just gets great and then you know the numbers get bigger and bigger and longer and longer and like if you're not like a fan of musicals that might be the dividing line that might be the thing where it loses you because there's some lengthy musical numbers here but man it is so i just can't think of words to describe it other than like lovely and charming like i just had a smile on my face the the entire runtime there's never there's not a dull moment for me there's not a moment where i'm like i don't like that like even the italian stuff it's funny 
that stuff is funny. And, you know, they mentioned in the description all the malapropisms. Like, he just can't he just can't hold the language in his head, and he gets everything wrong. And so even when he's being threatening, he's funny. Like, it just, man, this movie just works 100% of the time. Yeah. In our discussion of another musical, 42nd Street, uh, you know, we talked about needing the kind of the, the calm, the, the, the positive films, especially in this time. And... I forgot how much I needed Top Hat uh, when I was watching it. It's been a good, it's been a good fifteen years since I last saw it, and so when I get to that cheek to cheek scene, I wept. I just sat there weeping because it is such a beautiful, uplifting moment, and it is such a pure moment as well. And the cinematography, just you know, the the head to toes capturing all of their dancing and it just embraces their dancing in that gazebo so perfectly. And when they step out into the rain and come back and all this, this organic flow of just two people falling in love is so charming and so nice and so sweet. I, I I think while this is not a perfect film, because again, like it's got, I, I can't escape the uh, the narrative kind of, geez, if only you just say, I'm not the guy that you think I am, this would have all been solved. I can't escape that, even though I probably should do, because it's otherwise this film wouldn't exist. Um, but I, I love that moment. I think it is easily one of the purest moments in cinema history. Heaven, I'm in heaven. And my heart beats so that I can hardly speak And I seem to find the happiness I see When we're out together dancing cheek to cheek It is easily just a simply divine moment of, of film And I'm glad that it exists because it's beautiful and I think that even if you're not a musical fan, you're going to love this film because it does, it's so honest and so earnest and so just eager to be like, here, have something nice. Enjoy this. Right. Just just chill out for 90 minutes and enjoy two people falling in love. That's enough. Right. Yeah. And here's something like, is this movie available on physical media? Is this like... no. Because like I'm, I, could, I was I looking it up, it. and I, I don't think you can... Yeah. Yeah, and that is a shame, because I was like, every once in a while, I'll watch a movie for a podcast. It doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while, I'll watch a movie for a podcast and be like, you know what? I need to own that. I would. I want to come back to that. Like, I want more than a digital copy. I want to hold that in my hand. And I looked, and I like couldn't find it anywhere. And I was like, this is a nomin- Oscar-dominated film. Like, we've talked at length in other shows about like films that literally have disappeared. Like, there are no... It's not the case. I'm sure some someone will, you know, do a redo of this. You know, a Criterion will get a hold of it or something. They did Swing Time. Why wouldn't they do Top Hat? That'd be fine. Um, but that's a shame. Like that. This like it's like this. You know, it's just this little ounce of happiness. This hour and thirty minutes, hour and forty minutes of just pure, genuine gold. And like you can't access it. And that's shitty, man. Like this should be available. And like, you know, I don't know what the what the reasons are for it, like how many copies you have to sell to make it worth it. But like, man, one of these boutique labels should really, you know, pick up the Ginger Rogers Fred Astaire collection and just put them all out. Cause it's, 
you know, like, are they all basically the same? Kind of, yes. But, like, are they all differently enjoyable? Also, yes. Like, and this is, I like I said, I think I've seen, like, four or five of them now. And this is my favorite one, and it's not closed. Like, this is just so wonderful. I could see myself putting this on, like, not only to watch again, but just in the background. Like, it's just kind of a nice, warm presence to just have on your screen. It's so great. Yeah, and it sounds lovely. You know, it just sounds absolutely wonderful and enjoyable, and and it's charming. And, and uh, yeah, like, I, I, it feels reductive to say, oh, it's just, it's just a really nice film. Um, but not all films need to be critically dissected. And I think that's the thing, you know, coming back to the whole purpose of this show is talking about the Best Picture nominees and winners. And, you know, like like Grand Hotel in a way, and I guess to an extent what they were probably aiming for with something like the Broadway Melody, sometimes it's just we need a nice film. And they failed with the Broadway Melody because that's a terrible film. But I get what they were going for with this. You know, I get what they were going for and I wish that a film like this was held up. You know, I guess one of the things which I, I, I realise with something like Top Hat is that this is probably one of the best arguments for holding the Oscars maybe a year or two after the actual films have come out because I'm certain, while I really appreciate Mutiny on a Bounty, I'm glad that I watched it and it's a great Best Picture winner. Um, it will, when all is said and done, we complete watching all of these films and stuff like that, it'll probably sit somewhere around the midway mark, I imagine, looking at the films coming forward. And that's fine. You know, there are there are going to be over 100 films winning Best Picture. However, I do think that if there was given a year or two breathing space, uh, that they would be able to look at a film like Top Hat and go, no, no, this is the best film of that year. This is the best film. Because I think we would be able to avoid so many problems if they were able to just have like a year or two and go, maybe Green Book is not the best. Maybe not Crash. <laughs> maybe not Crash. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe not driving right. Miss Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that one hurts. Um, and I think it, this this movie also brings to mind, like, you know, you talk about, like, ranking movies and, like, is this as good as blank, right? And I think there's just there's such a difference between a five-star musical romance and a five-star Mutiny on the Bounty, right? I think... Uh, and I'm not saying Mutiny on the is five stars necessarily, but they're di- very different movies. And I will say that maybe more than any movie we have covered on here, Top Hat does exactly what it wants to. It achieves absolutely everything it sets out to. Like, you can say, like, oh, well, it's just a misunderstanding, and if they should just talk to one another. But, you know, they talk to one another, there's no movie, right? So you have to – at some point, you have to, like, move past that. But, like, if you're looking – like, this movie is looking to make people happy, to entertain them on every level. And, like, I just – I can't imagine watching this and finding it wanting. Like, this is – and, you know, I think the Oscars in general, maybe not so much at this time, but certainly moving forward, you know, the Oscars don't like fun stuff. They don't like comedies. They don't like people being happy. Like, someone's got to die, and it's got to be dour, and it's got to be huge. There's got to be spectacle, but not spectacle in the musical way, but spectacle in, the, like, the giant battle sequences or whatever, you know? And it's like, 
I do I do find myself like Golden Globes suck obviously it's just a, it's a complete sham and it's like uh who can we get who's a big star who will get drunk at our event uh who can we get um but I like the idea of having a separate award for drama and comedy because I mean I'd love it if comedies would just get awarded especially cuz if you talk to any actor they're always like comedy's hard drama's easy comedy is rough and yet it's so disrespected when it comes to awards time like when was the last time a comedy got oscar love like fish Wanda? like <laughs> that was maybe the last big win for a comedic performance well i mean bridesmaids kind of broke through with melissa mccarthy and that mm, helped that's secure true. her that's true. a good career um and right. that was always but the didn't surprise. win right it didn't win it, it got nominated for best screenplay right. and best supporting actress and that in itself was like that's your award right there shocking um Right. But again, like Tiffany Haddish should have been nominated for Girls Trip, you know, but as as crass as that, that film is, she has such a, a, a wonderful, um, beautiful relationship in that film and the, the, the manner that she shares they, the bond with the And they friends. set out to make it crass. That's a, the feature, not a bug. Like, yeah, it's crass, but that's the movie they were making. And this is my point, is that I think sometimes we should reward movies that set out to make the exact movie that they're make. Like, why is, you know, and we're talking extreme examples here, right? Why is a movie like Schindler's List any more valuable than a movie like Fish Called Wanda? Fish Called Wanda does everything it sets out to do. It's a five-star comedy. Schindler's List does everything, sets out to do a bunch of things, and does them all really well. It is a five-star drama tragedy. Right? Why is that one more worthy of our attention than something that made you laugh? It's something that gave you joy. Like you don't have to cry every time you see a movie. You don't. It doesn't have to be the end of the world. I mean, you cried because it was joyful, but that's beside the point. Like you can just be filled with light and joy, and that be a great movie. It doesn't have to like ruin your day to be a good movie. Well, the, that's all. Exactly. Yeah. And and like one of the. The notes which I always like to mention to people about the year that Titanic won was that, you know, Titanic was up against LA Confidential. It was up against As Good As It Gets. It was up against um, Good Will Hunting, I think it was. And then the other film, like, I want to see the alternate universe where the full Monty won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And that film, I, I think we right. can laugh at it now. And, you know, I'm keen to revisit that down the line, but we can laugh at it now. But that film was a massive success because it made people feel oh, good. It made, it was, you know, long before Magic Mike and all this kind of stuff, there was something that was really amusing about seeing a bunch of blokes stripping. And, you know, that's nice. Like, it's, it's, it's good to see that kind of thing succeed. Uh, it was never going to beat Titanic, of course, right. but... Nothing was. I just, I, I mean, I just wish know, that it's beside your point, but LA Confidential to me is one of the best movies oh, yeah. of the last 50 years. So like that one still stings. Uh, even though I like Titanic, I think Titanic is really good. Um, it's, it's a brilliant melodrama like that is. And again, that's what it was designed to be, you know, big effects, big love story, all that stuff. But like LA Confidential is so good. Uh, although hard to watch now. Cause you know, Kevin Spacey is a monster, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, it would be great to live in that universe where, I mean, even though I love L.A. Confidential, I would love to live in a world where the full Monty won. Because that movie is charming as hell. It's so fun. Again, haven't seen it in like a decade, so who knows how it holds up. But I remember like walking out of that theater going like, man, 
that was a good time. And like, there's not enough movies like that that get rewarded. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as, as we wrap up one of the things, like, as we're saying, there's 12 best picture nominees this year, 12 of them. And they find space to put a film like top hat. And, you know, as, (laughs) as the, in modern day, as the Academy is, you know, the, from next year, it will be a permanent 10 best picture nominees. And it's like, do every single one of them have to be dark and foreboding or about something or correcting social injustices and stuff like that. And, and while it's nice that we do get a bunch of films that, you know, talk about the time we live in and the inequality and racism and stuff like that, there are a dime a dozen and I'm not trying to discount films that are about that. Um, You know, they are vitally important, of course, but they're almost all that we get to celebrate nowadays. And, and it's just echoing, echoing what you're saying in the sense that why aren't comedies rewarded? Why isn't something like um, Palm Springs recognized? What, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, it's right. a genuine shame. And like, I think a part, of the, a part of the answer to that is the Academy itself, right? It's a self-perpetuating monster, right? Is that like, oh, well, we really need these important films. So those are the films that get greenlit. Those are the films that go to festivals. And those are the films that get rewarded by the critics and get rewarded by, you know, the Gold Gloves or whoever. And it just continues. Shit rolls downhill, man. And it's just like, here we are at the Oscars again with like three movies about racism, two movies about misogyny. Every once in a while, we get like one crap in there. It's like the Dark Knight rule, right? We get that one where it's like, oh, a movie someone has seen outside <laughs> of critic circles. That's nice. And it's always so rare. I mean, so it's like, yeah, so it's like it's hard to kind of tease apart like where like do I do I need to watch another movie like 12 Years a Slave, which is a great movie. It's a great film. But like like you said, every year there's like five movies about that and usually four of them are terrible, but like, you just never know which one's going to capture the imagination. Like I think green book is terrible, uh, but that still, you know, made it all the way and won a bunch of Oscars. And I was like, here we are again, God forbid, you know, we would reward, or even like, not even just comedies, but just like, you know, movies that are genuine. Like, I mean, you know, and anyone who has listened to me for more than one episode knows I'm a huge fan of Brooklyn. I think that's one of the best movies of that decade. And yes, it got nominated for some Oscars and that was really nice, but that's the type of movie I would love to see get rewarded. Like something that is just so genuine in what it is and doesn't, it doesn't try to be too cool. Right. It doesn't try to distance itself from being a story about like a simple story about love and family go, you know, and we don't we don't reward those enough. But like, you know, you crash a giant ship into a, a piece of ice and then <laughs> give it all the Oscars, guys like uh, Jesus, I, I, move on. I, I do want to mention as well, just briefly, that uh, the Green Book did win at the Golden Globes for best motion picture musical or comedy. So, you know, uh, they, they find that. Racism. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, did The Martian get nominated for comedy? I mean, it's the Globes are just known for just like doing whatever. Like, I, I think it's like one guy in a room just like trolling the world. Like, oh, I know what I'll do this time. Yeah. Matt Damon for comedy in The Martian. Ha. Huh? And that's all. <laughs> just every year. I mean, Jared Leto getting nominated this year. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of nonsense that happens. You know, you can't, you can't trust the Globes. Just like who can we get who is pretty and they might get drunk at our show and cause a scene. Exactly. Bring them on in. That's why we're discussing the Oscars. Um, so, yeah, 
that is Top Hat, which again, if the, if you haven't seen it, uh, it doesn't matter if you know the plot of it, uh, because it's all about joy and happiness and delight. Uh, I hope that you do manage to seek it out in some some way, and I hope that somebody down the line releases a proper copy of it because it deserves a revival, especially given uh, you know everything. We're you know why about. they should? You know, you know why they should? Was that because because Top Hat matters, Andrew? It matters. <laughs> It does matter. It does matter. I want to hold my head in my hands and go, oh, but, you know, it is the title of the show. It is the title of the show. And that's, that's right. This is your fault. <laughs> you came up with it. But it's why we highlight these films as well, because we want to show that, you know, Oscar or not, they matter. And they're important. And and that's that's what matters. Uh, so, yeah. Um, follow us on social media. Awards don't matter. We're on all of the social places. Um, Dave, where can people find you and... and Tell us about your new show that you're doing. Yeah, you can follow me on, on Twitter way too often at DarnThatDave. Uh, you can also follow my new podcast uh, with old co-host Michael Denniston uh, called Offscreen Death, where I make him watch uh, really fancy movies off of best of lists, and he makes me watch uh, erotic thrillers like Unfaithful. Um, and that is Offscreen Death, and our Twitter is very easy to remember if you remember the name of the show. It's also at Offscreen Death, so be sure to follow us there and listen there for more of my nonsense. I promise to try and use less puns. I am sorry. I don't think you are, and if you if you want if you want to follow me, head over to the Kirby. How dare! And and follow me for all things Australian nonsense. Uh, all right, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Venetian sons and daughters are strumming a new tune upon their guitar. It was written by a Latin, a gondolier who sat in his home out in Brooklyn and gazed at the stars. He sent his melody across the sea to Italy, and we know they wrote some words to fit that catchy bit and christened it the piccolino and we know that it's the reason why everyone this season is humming and strumming a new melody love this podcast support it and sponsor today simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details